was a lot of work. Just plain work. When work at home is planned and organized for cooperation, there can usually be more time for leisure. I'm certainly in favor of those things. Leisure. Who is it? Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? But how can we manage them? We'll have to work out the full answer together. Say, Mom, it's well. discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You know, this is beginning to be quite a family project. It certainly is. All right, that does not look like my family at all. Um, my family has issues, and I'm sure your family does as well. We're going to continue a sermon series on our imperfect family. So the first thing you do, if you'd like to follow along, is take out your phone, use your camera. Scan that QR code, just like that, and boom, brings up the sermon notes, and you can follow along uh, today. You can have your phone out. I will not be mad if you have your phone out. I used to be a youth pastor, so every teenager had their phone out. I don't know what they were doing on them, but um, they probably weren't listening to me. I hope you guys will listen to me. If you were watching you know, sports or something, just yell out the score if it's a good score, and we'll continue on. But uh, yeah, take out your phone, man, follow along with today's message, because I'm excited about what God has um, to share with us. So last week, we began a series called Our Imperfect Family, and we realized that, you know, families are, are messed up. Every single family is messed up. And you might have be saying now, or you might have said last week, that, you know, Pastor Clayton, you just don't understand what my family's like. The issues that we have, the things that we are going, going through, it's just not like everybody else. And all the things that God has, has said in his word about families, that's great, but my family, we're just, we're too far gone. But I think some of us also put that on Jesus as well and say, Jesus, you just don't understand my family. Because we have this false view that Jesus was, uh, had it all together. His family was perfect and his whole life was just roses and walking uh, down the beach just frolicking down the beach. That's kind of how we, how, we, how we view Jesus sometimes. But the reality is, is that his family had issues as well. His family um, had, had problems, and there were family strife, I'm sure, uh, because of the people that were in his family. And Jesus was the oldest brother. And if, how many of y'all are the, the oldest kid in your, in your family? Okay, some of y'all? Okay, what do you want to do to your younger siblings? Like, right? Can you imagine what it was like for, for Jesus with his younger siblings? I'm sure he was tempted, because the Bible says that Jesus was tempted just like all of us, yet he didn't sin. I'm sure he was tempted to slap his brothers around a little bit, you know, and to, to put, put them down so he could lift himself up. I'm sure Jesus had those kind of temptations, because the Bible says that he was tempted in every way just like us. Jesus' family had issues. And I think the reason we need to understand that today is that we need to, to see and, and feel and, and know that Jesus knows. He understands. He understands what you're going through. More than anybody in this room, more than the person to your left or to the right, or, or even myself, he knows what it's like to be in the family that you have. Because guess what? Jesus' family was also broken, and it was incomplete. And a lot of you today, and a lot of you online, probably have, have incomplete or broken families. You know, Jesus, Jesus his, uh, his, 
his, not his biological father, he has the Holy Spirit, but his adopted father, Joseph, wasn't always around. We see that he was around during the birth. We see that he was around when, when, when Jesus was 12 and they, they lose Jesus, right, in the, in the temple. How many of you guys would like to be known in the Bible as the guy that lost Jesus? That'd be really bad, okay? So he, he loses, loses Jesus, but somewhere between G, when Jesus is 12 and 30, something happens to Joseph, Jesus' dad. And we think that he passed away. And so he wasn't around anymore. And so who was left? Well, it was Mary. And Mary was a single mom trying to raise kids in Nazareth. And look what the Bible says in Matthew 13, verse 55 and 56. It says this, Jesus is in Nazareth teaching, and someone looks and says, well, that's Jesus, right? Is not this the carpenter's son? Isn't that Joseph's Son, I, I remember going to high school with that guy, right? I remember, I remember him when he was growing up. Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, get this, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus had at least six siblings, okay? Which means that Mary was raising by herself at least seven kids, okay? <laughs> There's issues, right? There's problems. There are things going on. It also means that Jesus probably had cousins and aunts and uncles and had some probably some incredibly fun uh, family reunions, right? How many, how many guys used to go to family reunions when you were little, right? Or maybe you still do. I, I remember going to family reunions when, when I was... When I was uh, younger, uh, to my, my mom's side of the family, which was really large, and I just, I didn't know anybody, right? It was just, I'm like, well, do we have to go and do this? And yes, we would have to go to these family reunions. You see, we need to understand this, that we have more in common with Jesus and his family than we think. The first thing I want us to understand today is this, that we are all born in a family. You and I, we're all born in a family. And last week, we talked about family health. And how if we're going to be the family God wants us to be, we need to be a healthy family. And so we looked at some priorities we all need to have. A lot of times family issues are because your priorities are all jacked up. And we looked at how that God needs to be the first priority in your life, you personally and for your family. And underneath that is your spouse. Your spouse is not more important than God, okay? Your spouse needs to be under God. And then underneath your spouse needs to be your kids. And the big problem is for a lot of families, even Christian families, we elevate our kids above your spouse and also above God and your relationship with him. But your, fa- your kids should be down here. And then underneath that, if you have... If, for those of you have, uh, if you're younger or even if you're older, is to honor and obey your parents. Okay, your parents need to be a priority in your life. And then even underneath that is the rest of your family, your relatives. God has this order based on scripture of how we are supposed to um, live our lives within our family. And what that does when we do that is it creates a healthy family. But something happens in scripture that we need to read today, that something that Jesus says that flips our understanding of families on its head. So Jesus, he's teaching in Galilee, and he's going from town to town. And in Matthew chapter 12, he says something. So if your Bibles open up to Matthew chapter 12, we'll be in verse 46 through 50. It'll be up on the screen behind me, but here's what it says. While he was still speaking to the people, so he's in Galilee going from town to town. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So his, 
He wasn't in Nazareth, we don't think, but he was somewhere else in a town, probably close by. And so his mom and his, his brother, his whole family said, let's go see your older brother, right? Let's go see Jesus. And so they go, and then it says, but he replied to the man who told him. So the, the, a man came to him and said, hey, your, your family's outside. They want to talk to you. And Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He asked this question. question and, and he says, and he's stretching out his hand toward his disciples. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's pretty crazy. That's something kind of strange. Jesus, why would you not say that that's, those, that's your family? Why are you looking at your disciples and say, no, 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 these are, this is my family. I think there's something we need to understand. Another principle today, and it's this, that yes, we are all born into a, a physical family. But some of us are born again. To be born again means that you give your life to Christ. And he comes into your life and saves you from your sins. But he doesn't just save you from from something, your sins. He also saves you into something, which is a spiritual family. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us there, here. The importance of a spiritual family. In John chapter 1, here's what... The Apostle John says, in verse 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, so those who received Jesus and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. Not saying a normal like physical birth, but a spiritual birth. What he's talking about is going from one family to another. Now, most of you guys know, I talk about it sometimes, is I, I went to Texas A&M um, for, for, for college. And when, when you're at A&M, there's all sorts of like traditions and things. And every college has those, has those traditions. But there's a tradition that you do not want to be a part of. And it's called being a two percenter. Okay? A two percenter is someone who only goes to class. And they don't follow any of the traditions or anything like that. And so you go to a football game. A two percenter is someone who, who leaves early. Because okay, at A&M, 100,000 people, everybody stands the entire game and yells the whole time. It's crazy. The only time you're allowed to sit down is when the other team's band is playing. Okay, that's it. You're like, oh, thank you. You get to sit down, right? Okay, so that's the only time you can sit down. And if the game is going bad, you don't leave. And if you leave, you are called a two-percenter, which is not good. Well, guess what? In this room, there are some two-percenters here. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I want you to think about this in a positive way. Did you know that one out of every 50 people in the United States is adopted. That's 2%. 2% of the population is adopted. So in this room, there are several people that are adopted. You are 2 percenters in a good way. I think it's important to understand because that's, that's what God is trying to teach us here is that when we become children of God, when we become saved, we become adopted by God. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, get this, adoption as sons and daughters. It's it's gender inclusive here. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Meaning that, you know what? You get to call God your dad, right? You say, hey, dad, you had this 
intimate relationship. You are adopted into the family. So you're no longer a slave or an enemy or far apart from God, but you are a son, and if a son, then you're an heir through God. Being saved means that you become a part of God's spiritual family. And I love the thought of adoption here, because did you know that when you adopt someone, you cannot disown them? You can disown your own kids, amen, right? Okay, right? You can disown your own kids, but if you adopt someone, if you adopt a kid, legally you're not allowed, it's against the law, to disown them. I think that's a great spiritual um, connection there, that God is the same way. Once you're adopted by God into his family, he doesn't disown you, no matter what you do. No matter how far you run away like a prodigal son, he is there and willing and ready to receive you back. You see, families are important, but spiritual families are important as well. In this passage we're reading in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, and he asks us, well, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he says, look, these disciples, the ones who are doing the will of the Father, they are my mother and brothers. And what Jesus is saying is that in the kingdom of God, the most important family is not your physical family. The most important family in the kingdom of God is your spiritual family. It's that important. What's amazing about God's spiritual family is that it's not bound by, by gender. It's not bound by ethnicity. And it's not bound by your social standings. Everybody is different. Look at this. Galatians chapter 3. Here's what Paul says. In verse 26, he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, of, of, uh, sorry, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, okay? So there's not that difference anymore. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Even more than that, the kingdom of God. His spiritual family is full of people that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that have different customs than you. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. John gets, gets a glimpse of heaven, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying this, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Man, what an incredible picture of God's spiritual family. We're not all the same. We're different. We're diverse. But our connection is really important. Somebody asks us, what, all, what does all this mean for you today and for your family? Because we're talking through our imperfect families and, and the fact that our families have issues. Well, last week we talked about how your family needs to be a family of influence. So I don't, I don't care who you are, whether you are a mom or a dad or you are a, a kid or you're a stepchild or you're a grandmother or a great-grandmother mother or father, or you are an aunt or uncle, you're in the family that you're in for a reason. God does not make mistakes, so he has you right where he wants you. And he has you in a place where he wants to use you. And God wants to use you to change your family. And God can, but he wants to work through you. And so we need to be people who influence our own families, 
Maybe it starts with you, the way that you influence your own family. But also our families need to begin to think about being our individual families that influence other people. So not only are we looking inwardly at our families, but our families need to begin to look outwardly. Here's what I mean. Your family needs to be a missionary family. That's what your family needs to be. Now, when I think of missionaries, I think of the time I got to go to um, uh, fly to Mexico City, and the IMB asked my wife and I to go and, and kind of be the youth pastor and his wife for a week with some, some missionary families. And so they took all of the missionary IMB families in Mexico, and they brought them together for this retreat over, over a week. And so we were tasked with the responsibility of kind of taking all of these MKs, missionary kids, all these teenagers, and creating kind of a new youth group for a week and doing Bible studies, hanging out. And I'll tell you what, it was the best youth group I've ever had, okay? These kids were on fire for the Lord. They knew scripture better than I did. And man, they were actually living, you know, the life that we were like, oh, I wish I could do that with my life. They were actually doing that on the mission field. And it was incredible to see uh, these families and what they were doing. But guess what? That is not what God is talking about here. I think we have this, this false view as Southern Baptists that a missionary family is someone who, who goes overseas, that sells everything and puts, or puts stuff in storage and gets on the plane and goes and just uh, sacrifices completely and gets rid of the American um, way of doing life. And that's not what a missionary family is. A missionary family is someone who lives their life, whatever God calls you to do, on purpose for a reason. And we need to be families that think missionally wherever we are. Let me illustrate this another way. What do you do when you hear this sound? What do you do? How many of you guys have, have, have anxiety right now, right? Like the doorbell rings and what do you do? You mute the TV you turn off the lights, right? Get on the floor, kids. Be quiet. Someone's at, my, at our door, and we don't know who it is. And so you run over to the window that's on the side. You, you think they can't see you, and you're looking to try to figure that is. Or you're looking at the peephole. We're like, if we're just quiet enough, they'll leave, okay? How do we get that way as a society? Something has changed in our society where, where we don't want people in our homes. And what that really means is that we don't want people in our lives. And so we hide. We hide. And God did not call us as believers in Christ to hide. He called us to be intentional, to be missional as a family. So we're supposed to stop isolating our influence. That's what we gotta do. And what we're doing is we, we kind of just we stay in, inside our little bubble. And when someone comes to the door, tries to, tries to come into our family, to try to be influenced by our family or to talk to us, we push them away. But here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 about that. Here's how God describes us. If you're a Christian in this room or online, here's what, here's what it says. It says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, Okay, that's great. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. That describes me. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for that. But there's a purpose for that. Here's what it says. You are all of those things so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
You are that way. God has called you out. You are a part of his family for a purpose. And that purpose is for you to proclaim him, to tell people about him. You see, Christians don't hide out. They're called out. Something really important to remember today. I'll say it again. Christians don't hide out. They're called out. We need to be missionary families wherever God has put us, especially in the neighborhoods that we're in. So that's for your family. But what about our spiritual families? Well, the defining characteristic of a spiritual family is love for one another. That's what the Bible says. John chapter 13 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How will people know that you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? Not because you wear a t-shirt or have a cross on your neck. It's, it's how you love each other. It's how you love each other. And when we love each other, we become a church, a people of influence. And the best way to begin to, to ask or to see if we're actually be, being a, a people of influence is, is to ask yourself this question. Who's missing at the spiritual table? Who is missing at your spiritual table? Here's what you do. Imagine up on the stage there was a, uh, a table. I asked Ronald if I could bring a dining room table up here, and he told me no, uh, because it's like his band space, whatever. I don't know. But no, just kidding. Um, so we have, we have, a, we have we had a, a big dining room table up here. Or think about your own home, the dining room table that you have or the place that, that you eat at. I think it's in, when, we, when we think about our spiritual dining room table, there always need to, needs to be two empty seats all the time. No matter if your whole family's there, there's always two empty seats. When you see an empty seat, what do you think about? Who's not there, right? Who's missing? And I think there's two groups of people. That's why we have two empty seats. There's two groups of people that are missing in our spiritual family always. The first group are people of God who have fallen away. I'm telling you what, COVID has accelerated that this last year like no other time before. For all you, you know how hard it was, right? Or maybe how easy it was. Church in your pajamas was nice, right? Yeah. I remember Easter last year. It was the weirdest Easter in my life. Sitting on a couch in my pajamas, right? Watching myself. That was terrible. Don't, that's bad, okay? So it's terrible. But this last year has been so easy for people to fall away. Now, I want you to think about your small groups. A lot of you guys are in small groups and Sunday school classes and, and people you know, your, your sphere of influence, the bubble that you're in. Who's missing? Who used to be there and is no longer there? Who in your group is just hanging on by a thread? There's another group. There's another empty seat. And it's lost people. If we want to be a church of influence, not only loving one another, but loving those who are far from God, we have to be a church that is hourly focused. We have to. Every time you see an empty seat at a table, or you can look right now to your left or right, the question is, who's lost that needs to be here and is missing? So what are you supposed to do, right? What are you supposed to do? Well, if you're sitting down with your family in, at home eating a meal, does a stranger just walk into your house and sit down, say, pass the plate, right? 
That'd be weird, right? <laughs> you like, get out of my house, right? That, hopefully that would not happen, okay? What about even a, a close friend? Probably not. They're going to text you. They're going to call you. They're going to at least ring the doorbell. How do you get people in those seats? You invite them. You invite them. One of the most effective evangelistic strategies ever is a personal invitation. Simple as that. We invite people to stuff all the time, right? Why are we not inviting people to God, to a personal relationship with God, to come to church? We need to be a church that is inviting people. We pray and we hope that this church become a, a church, and it is, we believe it, that it's a, it's a church that has an invite culture we're doing whatever we can to get people here. So those two empty seats, those that, man, they used to be connected and they're not. And those that are far from God would, would be sitting in the seats that God has for them. So in your own family, have a missionary mindset. That's what we need to be doing. We have a missionary mindset. And so when the doorbell rings, we don't see it as a nuisance. We see it as a divine opportunity, right? When someone's trying to sell you something, Sell them Jesus, right? <laughs> if a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness comes to the door, don't see it as a negative thing. Think of it as a thank you, God, for this divine opportunity. Come, have a seat at my table. You want some coffee? Let me tell you about Jesus, right? Love people. How about opening that door up, going outside, spending time in your neighborhood with the people that God has put around you? They see you. They see you drive home every day. They see you out in the front yard mowing the grass and gardening. They see you going on walks with your dog. They see you. Why don't you have an influence with them? We need to be, each of our families have a missionary mindset. And as a church family, we got to have that outwardly fo outward focus. As a spiritual family, we got to ask, who's missing? Who's missing? Let's get them back. Sometimes people are just asking, or just, they're just waiting. They're waiting for you to invite them, right? And, and waiting for them, waiting, waiting for you to realize that they're missing. They just need an invitation. It's easy. Let's do that. Let's begin to be a church. We really, really believe that Jesus is changing everything. He can change people's lives. What's crazy is, is that his answer to changing people's lives is you, right? It's you and it's me. We need to be believers just like that. Let's pray. Father, we ask, God, that you would give us a missionary mindset. God, that spiritually when the doorbell rings, we don't run. That each of our families would see um, our influence not as just here at this church, because it's just church, man. Real life is out there in the neighborhoods. It's in our schools. It's, it's at our jobs. We would see all of these opportunities that we come across people as as spiritual doorbell going off. And God, we gotta make a decision. So I pray for each church member here. I pray for each family, God, that you help us to begin to, to see um, the neighborhood we've been, we're in, the home we're in, the influence we have as divine opportunity to share the gospel with people and to let them in our lives. Help them to see a difference and that we would be families of influence. And God, we pray for our church members who, who just fallen away a little bit. 
It's so easy to fall away with COVID. You know what? Once you've been gone for a long time, it's so difficult to come back sometimes. So God, we pray that you would give those, those people encouragement. And God, we pray that you would use us. Each one of us knows someone who's not here that should be here. Maybe we need to invite them. Say we love them. And we miss them. And we want them back. And God wants them back because we're not supposed to live this Christian life alone. Man, that's, that's tough. So God, give us courage to do that. And God, I pray you give us courage to think about the other empty seat, which is the lost, and that we would have softened and open hearts to realize throughout the week the times that you're calling us to share our faith and to love people and to make a difference in their lives and to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. God, it's not about our church. It's about you. It's about those who are far from you. We want, we want them to know you, God, and I know you do as well. So God, give us the ability to do that with courage and conviction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.